0: Hello, and welcome to The Auto Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you all things ENT. I'm your host, Emily, and today we are joined by Dr. June Lin. Dr. Lin attended medical school and otolaryngology residency at the University of British Columbia. She has a fellowship in laryngology and care of the professional voice and a master's degree in science specializing in clinical research from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. She is an otolaryngologist and associate scientist at St. Michael's Hospital and an assistant professor in the Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Toronto. Her research focuses primarily on therapies for vocal fold paralysis, vocal fold atrophy, vocal fold scarring, and dysphagia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Len. Thank you for having me, Emily. It's a pleasure to be here. So we were hoping to hear about your career as an otolaryngologist, specifically in the subspecialty of laryngology. Could you tell us a little bit about what a laryngologist does?
1: Sure. Laryngology is actually a relatively new subspecialty in otolaryngology. And it has really only gained traction maybe within the last 15 years or so with some new developments in technology in terms of laryngeal diagnosis and in-office procedures as well. So it's a subspecialty that focuses in the care of the larynx. So including voice, swallowing, and also airway disorders. So for example, glottic stenosis and upper airway stenosis like subglottic and tracheal stenosis.
0: Thank you Dr. Lin for
1: sharing with us what laryngology encompasses. In terms
0: of training, what training is required to become a laryngologist?
1: So if one wants to do high level laryngology, so basically subspecializing in the in the field usually you would be required to go through a otolaryngology residency, and then basically pursue a fellowship afterwards. Typically, a laryngology fellowship would be one year in addition to a five year otolaryngology residency training. And it also depends on your interests as well. I, uh, I was interested in academic otolaryngology. So that's why I also pursue a research degree in clinical trials as well. So that added an extra research year to my laryngology fellowship. But it's definitely not required
0: so it sounds like there are a lot of training options to become a laryngologist depending on how you want to structure your practice
1: correct and also within the laryngology fellowship you can specialize in voice care and then there's a few fellowships where the focus is actually primarily dysphagia for people with uh, significant swallowing disorders And then some of them will focus a little bit more on airway reconstruction. Most of the fellowships are uh, sort of like a general laryngology with a focus in each one of the area, but you can definitely kind of even more sub-specialize in laryngology if you really want to. Okay, thank you for
0: elaborating. Could you also share with us what initially drew you to otolaryngology and
1: laryngology? Sure. So for otolaryngology, I was always interested in the head neck ana- anatomy. So the neck is a very small anatomical area in the body, but it houses some of the most important structures, right? Uh, So the major vessels, great vessels, and then you've got the larynx, obviously, which in my mind is probably the most humane organ um, in the entire body. So uh, and then there are different surgery options that are available. So if you're interested in big surgeries, reconstruction, etc, then head neck on Oncology and otolaryngology may be something for you. You can also do minimally invasive surgery like sinus, skull base. And then there is otologic surgery as well. And also for laryngology, it's a combination of endoscopic uh, slash minimally invasive surgery versus open surgery. So in uh, otolaryngology is the only surgical specialty that doesn't have a medical counterpart, which is very interesting to me. So then by being an otolaryngologist, I can practice some medicine. And I'm also a surgeon at the same time. And by medical counterpart, I mean that. So so for example, general surgeons, their medical counterpart would be gastroenterology, right? And for neurosurgery, their medical counterpart would be neurology. But for otolaryngologists, they actually don't have a medical counterpart. So for us, we kind of do a combination of medicine and surgery, which I really enjoy. So it
0: sounds like otolaryngology and laryngology offers both the medical and surgical aspects of medicine. What would you say is the bread and butter of laryngology?
1: In my personal practice, I uh, see probably 60% of voice disorder, and then maybe 25%, like 20 to 25% of airway disorder, and then the rest will be swallowing issues. So for voice issues, oftentimes you would see vocal fold paralysis, which can be unilateral or bilateral. So for unilateral vocal fold paralysis, typically patients will have issues with their voice or aspiration pneumonia. For bilateral vocal fold paralysis, typically it's an airway issue. And then uh, you can also get something called the phonotraumatic vocal fold lesions, which are benign gropes along the vocal folds due to overusing or misusing your voice. And you can also see a variety of other conditions that affects the voice as well. For airways, typically uh, subglottic stenosis, which is an area that I'm doing research on. And uh, for swallowing, you can get upper esophageal issues like Zanker's diverticulum or quicopharyngeus dysfunction, etc. So so it's a pretty wide breadth of conditions that I would see.
0: It sounds like laryngology offers a wide variety of cases. Are there any procedures or presentations that you think are most interesting?
1: That's a good question. So procedure wise, I guess the most gratifying ones are probably the vocal fold implant surgery. So I would put in a vocal fold silastic implant to push a paralyzed vocal fold back to a median position to facilitate complete closure of the vocal folds. So the goal of that surgery is to restore the voice and also prevent aspiration. Uh, So it's a very gratifying procedure because basically you can, and tell um, the patient, the surgery is done under something called a conscious sedation. So as you put in the implant during the surgery, you can actually immediately notice the voice change in the patient, so which can be quite dramatic. So that's one of the procedures. And the second procedure would be airway surgery, because having difficulty to breathe is not a nice feeling. So, so again, by doing airway surgery, enlarging people's airway, and they're able to breathe right away, and then they go from, you know, six significant exercise intolerance, you know, not being able to walk for two minutes without getting short of breath to being able to run a marathon. So that's pretty gratifying and amazing to me.
0: So it sounds like laryngology can play a huge part in improving the quality of life of the patients.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: We were also wondering if you can tell us what the most challenging and rewarding part of your job is.
1: So I guess the challenging part of my job is I work in an academic institution. So in addition to taking care of my patients and my clinical practice, I also have to juggle research and also admin responsibilities as well as education of medical students and residents. And there's not really any dedicated time for me to do so, which means that oftentimes I have to utilize my personal time in the evenings and on weekends. Weekends to do those things that I'm supposed to be doing. So, definitely, time management and also allocating time for work and for my family would be a huge challenge. But we all kind of learn to adapt to that. And so, I have some rules that I try to adhere to so then I can ensure that I have some family time. So, for example, I try not to check emails, homework, you know, after I come home. I try to finish all my dictations at work, uh, all the phone calls at work. So, then when I come home, I'm just home. And I don't deal with anything at work unless I'm on call. So I find that that's been working out really
0: well. Thank you for sharing with us your experience. It's always great to hear from a specialist about the challenging things in a specialty, especially for medical students who are deciding on their careers. You mentioned you were taking part in some research. Would you be able to share with us what your research entails?
1: Sure, so for myself, I have an interest in a condition called the idiopathic subglottic stenosis. Um, So idiopathic meaning that there's really no cause for it. And subglottic stenosis is basically airway scarring in an area that's immediately below the vocal folds and above the trachea. So for this condition, it actually occurs exclusively in Caucasian women and we don't really know why. And it's a rare condition occurring in maybe about one in 400,000 people. Well, some etiologies have been proposed in the literature because you only see it in women. People say that, oh, maybe there is a hormonal component to it. And they did find elevated estrogen receptors in this area. And then other people suggested that maybe it's reflux, maybe it's chronic bacterial colonization, but no one really knows for sure. So right now, my research is actually doing uh, something called the RNA sequencing on the tissue that I collected from this patient population that I collect during surgery. Uh, so by doing RNA sequencing, basically we're looking at the whole genomic changes um, in this patient population. So hopefully we'd we'll be able to find an answer to the cause of this condition. And that's something new in our field. And I don't think uh, other people are really doing that. And we we're definitely running the biggest study, uh, as far as I know, uh, in North America. Other areas in laryngology that are kind of cutting edge is that, you know, all the medical fields are trying to get into AI and machine learning and things like that. So uh, in laryngology, that's definitely lagging behind a little bit. So I think a lot of researchers are trying to get into that space.
0: Great it sounds like there's a lot of interesting and innovative projects going on in laryngology right now. You touched on this previously, but I was wondering if you could tell us more on how laryngology differs in larger academic centers versus community sites.
1: Sure. So I think equipment would be the main issue. So to do high level laryngology, not only, so not only the surgeon has to require some sort of subspecialty training, and you also need really good laryngoscopes and also video towers to do a thorough laryngeal exam. So we use something called a stroboscopy to look at vocal fold vibration. And that sort of subspecialized equipment is very expensive. So if you are a solo surgeon practicing in a small community in rural Ontario, for example, Uh, I'm not sure if it's really worthwhile to make that kind of investment into that kind of equipment to do that sort of Geo exam. And I also do in-office procedures. So basically we have lasers in my clinic where I can do small operations within the clinic when the patient is completely sitting up and completely awake. Uh, So again, the laser machines and the laser fibers are expensive. So I don't think that a lot of the community otolaryngologists would really dabble in that kind of procedure.
0: Okay, so it seems like laryngology requires newer technology that community hospitals might not have access to at this point. To end off our interview, we were wondering if you had any advice for students who are interested in pursuing a career in otolaryngology.
1: Yeah, so I would suggest that maybe keep your interests broad. So I wouldn't necessarily narrow yourself to a subspecialty right away unless you really have a very keen interest in that specific area. For myself personally, I didn't really decide to pursue otolaryngology seriously until I was in my third year. So I think in my first and second year of medical school, I kept a pretty open mind. So I shadow a lot of different doctors. So I shadow internist, uh, pathologist. I actually went to the morgue and watched autopsies and things like that, because I had no idea what they do uh, before I gone to medical school. And then I shadowed general surgeons, uh, anesthetists. So basically, I try to keep an open mind. But ultimately, for the reasons that I mentioned before, I've decided to pursue otolaryngology. And for a lot of people, um, how I decided in third year might have been a little bit too late. But I think if you show a keen interest uh, and when you show up for your clerkship rotation, you know, you show up on time, you're keen, you're always around, you read up on cases before you come to the clinic or come to the OR. People would realize that you do have a sincere interest in the specialty and that would that will be looked upon favorably.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lin. We really appreciate
1: all your advice and insights. Thank you again for having me, Emily. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode. You can head over to
1: our website
0: at www.theottawaapproach.com to learn more about the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. See you next time.